Hi, everybody. This is the No Autocorrect Podcast, and I'm Peter Ostapovich. Uh, I wanted to start this podcast to talk to a bunch of different people and learn about their life experiences, uh, whether that be in their career or something cool that they're doing, um, or maybe a hobby that they have that's just something you don't see every day or something you can learn a little bit more about. Um, I think that by talking to different people, doing things that, you know, I'm not normally doing, I haven't done before, or something that isn't really well known, um, there's some insight that can be gained from the different things that they're doing. So hopefully weekly, I'm going to be putting out an episode where I sit down with a guest and we just talk about the different things that they're doing. Um, it could be anything from, you know, this episode is going to be with my dad, who used to be a news reporter for a local TV station in Cleveland. I uh, started out in radio. Um, so I, I just want to, I want to sit down and talk with him and just hopefully someone that wants to go into broadcasting, hears this and kind of get a little bit of an insight into what he's been through and what it takes to kind of get your foot off the ground and start going in that direction. Um, so this episode will be with my dad, Don Olson. That was his on-air name. His uh, birth name is Don Ostapovich, but it's it was pretty commonplace to have an air name when you had a little bit of a harder to pronounce name like Ostapovich. So um, he just talks about the different experiences and how he came up the ranks starting out in radio um, at the University of Akron, working in different local stations, and then eventually making it to TV and then a corporate communications job when he decided to get out of the industry. Um, so this is going to be part one of a two-part series that I do with my parents uh, the next episode is with my mom, Joyce Johnson. Um, she also got her start in news, but she does a whole bunch of different things now. And I'll talk a little bit about that, a little bit more about that next episode. But um, starting out with my parents is, um, you know, something that, I don't know, I, I haven't really explored their careers with them too much. And I it's cool hearing from start to present, uh, how they got to where we are as a as, as a family and how they got to where they are as people and communicators. So um, I don't know, it was really cool for me and hopefully you guys get a little bit of enjoyment out of it. And in the next couple of weeks, there's going to be a bunch of more people doing cool things. So I hope you guys enjoy and, you know, make sure you check out the No Autocorrect uh, website, which is noautocorrect.com. Uh, follow us on social media and just, you know, look out for updates on new episodes and different clips from the episodes that I hope everyone finds interesting. So this is something new for me. This is something I'm trying out and, um, you know, bear with me as I learn the process and go through a few of the growing pains of starting something new. Um, I've never done anything on air before. Uh, whether that's radio or TV or anything like that. So um, I just think it's fun to talk to a bunch of different people and learn about their experiences and where they've been and what they want to do. So uh, without further ado, here is my dad, Don Olson. 
uh, getting into broadcasting is something that I always wanted to do. Yeah. Uh, even when I was a kid, I used to play radio in my room. I had a record player, and I'd go get my brother's record player and put it in my room. So I had two turntables to make segues on the music. And I got a cassette recorder uh, for Christmas one year in 1968. And I recorded myself being a disc jockey. So it's something I always wanted to do. Um, and then when I eventually, uh, well, when I got in high school, I was a news reporter for our hometown weekly newspaper. I did sports and some other features. And I wanted to use that to get to know the people at our local radio station in Akron, WCUE, which is actually in Cuyahoga Falls or was. And I used to, I did my story and I got to meet all the disc jockeys and the midnight to six guy I started hanging out with and I would just cruise up there when he was on the air, especially on the weekends, you know, not on school nights. And I would just hang with them. I'd go in the production room. That's where I learned how to run a radio board. So I already knew that before I even went to college. What kind of drew you to I being a, no doing idea. those disc jockey and trying to record those tapes? And... I have no idea. Really? I just, <laughs> I used to listen to the radio all the time. That's what kids back in the, uh, you know, late 60s and 70s did. Uh, FM was just coming in, you know, as popular. Uh, I, I really don't know, Pete. I don't know. But I just hmm. gravitated towards it, and so, I don't know. Really? It was fun. I liked it. And I think that, um, you know, my, my dad always worried about work. Yeah. And I thought, you know, if I get into a field that I really like to do, going to work won't seem like work. You know, if you follow hmm. your passion for some reason, that was my passion. Yeah. And the atmosphere around the business was a lot different then when you had, you know, radio stations that were really pulling in some big numbers with uh, the audience mm -hmm. and television stations. There was really only three places to watch TV, the sure. three big networks. So the, the atmosphere was a lot bigger. I think that each individual media outlet made a bigger impact mm -hmm. because now with, gosh, you know, uh, streaming and streaming TV mm -hmm. and all the places that you can listen to music. You know, the audience share is dramatically down for every traditional media outlet. You just don't make the impact mm -hmm. and you don't have the eyes and ears watching and listening. And that's what the sales department sells. Yeah. And that's when the ad revenues go down and so, and so does the talent and the quality. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, so after you're following the DJ in high school around, what was your first like on-air gig that you got? Well, uh, back then, uh, when I graduated high school, I went to University of Akron, and my very first day of college, mm -hmm. I went to my first class, which was Effective Oral Communication. It was a speech class. And then right after that, I made a beeline down to the campus radio station, uh, WAUP, mm -hmm. uh, to just get involved. I can't, we, I don't know, you, there were no sign-ups or anything like that. You just went yeah. in, I guess, and talked to the general manager. 
But back then, you needed an FCC license to be on the air because you took the transmitter readings. Yeah. This is a test you had to take. It was your third class FCC license, uh, and you had to get a broadcast endorsement on your license so that you could take the meter readings. Well, the, the test only came to Cleveland twice a year. And so this is like in September or late August. And I had to wait till December to go up to Cleveland and take the FCC test. And I did, and I passed. And uh, spring semester, well, we were on quarters then. Winter quarter uh, is when I had my first disc jockey shift on the campus station. And I was immediately going to the production rooms to, you know, learn the board a little bit better and mm -hmm. tape myself on the old big reel-to-reel -reel tape recorders. Yeah. And I wanted to get a uh, an audition tape so that I could take it to the commercial stations in the Akron area. So what were you putting on the air at the time when you were working on that? It was uh, the campus station was a jazz station at the time. Really? I had no idea what I was playing. <laughs> in fact, I had listeners call me up and say, you have no idea what you're doing. Really? <laughs> yeah. You so, know, so, and, and it wasn't only me. It was all, well, later on, we had a change of uh, general managers, and he opened it up to the students more. But um, all of the kids were like that. We didn't know jazz. I mean, we were yeah. all into pop music. I was about to say, that doesn't seem like the type of music a college station should play, especially... Well, um, but back then, you know, it's non-commercial. Yeah. It's a non-commercial station. And a, what year were you in college? What year did you start this doing is, this? This uh, is 1977, 78. So what music do you think they should have been playing then? Well, you know, I at that time, I didn't have any. I just wanted to be on the radio. Sure. That's all I sure. wanted to do. But when, when we got the new general manager, he made it more of a public-type radio station. We couldn't be NPR because WKSU and Kent was so close. Okay. And they had the NPR affiliation. So uh, we were still jazz from like 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. Mm -hmm. And then 6 p.m. to midnight, we were a different format each week. Like one night we would be uh, uh, country. Okay. And another uh, night we were Christian contemporary. Christian and then another night we were. And, but at midnight to 6, we went rock and roll. Yeah. So all the kids wanted the midnight to 6 shifts. Yeah. You know, if it yeah, didn't yeah. interfere with classes the next day. But when we were jazz, we had no idea. We had a wall full of albums. Yeah. And we, I would just go like this and I'd clo close my eyes and reach back and pick a... Yeah. But we ended up playing a lot of the crossover stuff because that's what we thought was cool, like Maynard Ferguson, who played the Rocky theme. Mm -hmm. And, uh, oh, I can't remember his name. He played the coronet. Chuck... Barry? No, 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 no. He was a jazz artist. Yeah. He, he had a lot. So we, we played the crossover stuff, but all the mainline jazz people, you know, they wanted to hear Stanley Turrentine. Mm -hmm. So what, was, what were the audience demographics? Like they even knew it was I have a, no idea. I, really? I, I didn't care. I was yeah. on the radio. You just wanted to get on. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. I was so happy to be on the radio. And I always thought that in uh, my major, which was mass media communication, uh, that the experience was more important than the classroom work, which it was sure. for that major. You could argue that for any major. True, true. Uh, in all my years of broadcasting in television and radio, no one ever asked me if I graduated college. Isn't that funny? Not once. But when I left television, uh, my first job, they wanted 
they wanted to know. You know, you could mm-hmm. like it would be very difficult for a manager and or director in on the in the corporate world uh, not to have a, you know a degree at sure. least a bachelor's. Yeah. yeah. So you get the you get the job at the college radio station. Yeah. And you're putting together as many tapes as you can to send out to people. Then then what happens? Right. Well, you know, it's um, when you're first on the air, you, you're really not that good. And so course, you, yeah. I had to uh, polish up some. Mm-hmm. What's what's good? What does good mean? Or good what means, does bad uh, mean? Uh, like a, an on-air presence, mm-hmm. uh, an appropriate voice. Sure. You know, you tend to, when you're first on the radio, to be what we call pukers. Hi, everybody. <laughs> the so the stereotypical make, Yeah, you DJ try to make voice, your voice yeah. bigger than what it really is. Mm-hmm. And uh, I probably had a little bit of that too, but I, I was cognizant of it at the mm-hmm. time, so I, I didn't. Uh, I tried not to do that. And what kind of style did you want on that FM college station? Trying to find your voice is what you're saying, or or a style. I mean, yeah. do, do you want to be an FM disc jockey and say this is Stanley Turrentine from his uh, Boston concert in 1975? Yeah. Or do you as a Stanley Turrentine? So you had to figure that kind of stuff out. Yeah. You know? Did you have? Um, well, I, okay, so can continue with, so what happened after uh, you started getting a little bit better, getting a little more airtime? Yeah, uh, let's see, uh, I got first got on the air at winter quarter, 77, 78, and just a few months before that, you know, I'm still in high school, but now I'm on the radio, so it was pretty cool. And then um, I just became more involved in the radio station. Uh, we had the uh, general manager change over and the format change. He got death threats, by the way, when he changed the format. From jazz? or From jazz from... to the various hmm. formats. Uh, in fact, I remember he took a different route to home uh, every day. <laughs> so um, People love their radio, I guess. Uh, I was on the air and uh, at the college station making my tapes, getting my act together. I didn't start sending out tapes till like the fall of 78, my sophomore year. And uh, in the spring, a buddy of mine, uh, Mark Williamson, who went on to be the news director of Channel 23 in Akron, said, hey, I'm leaving my job at WKNT in Kent running the board for the Browns games. They were on the Browns radio network. And um, why don't you apply for my job? So... I, I put together my best uh, audition tape, which was just about the entire soundtrack from Saturday Night Fever then. Yeah. <laughs> Disco was in. And uh, I went out, met the general manager, and I got the job. My first commercial job when I was 19. Mm-hmm. And uh, I remember playing my first commercial on the air. Yeah. My first day on the air was uh, St. Patrick's Day, 1979. I was doing the 6 to midnight shift on WKNT, 100.7 FM, 1520 AM. We simulcasted back then. Yeah. And um, yeah, I was only 19 years old. And I was on the air, you know, sophomore year, you know, so that was pretty hip. Was that, that was that young for that oh, profession yeah. at yeah. that time? And yeah. Really? Yeah. I, I, I can't remember any of my buddies down at the... Um, college station that were even close to getting a commercial job at the time after i was already on the air you know running the board and all that kind of stuff i would then take classes mm-hmm. in college on how to run a radio board so i aced those pretty good yeah 
So why do you think um, you were able to get that kind of job and they weren't? I think it was hard work. I mean, I spent a lot of time in the studios down at uh, the did, college. Station. Did they want that kind of job? Is that what they were saying? Like their goal was to was to kind of get to a the other students. Re- yeah. Oh, the, sure. Really? Yeah. Yeah. So I just worked. I worked very hard in the production room. Yeah. You know, on my board running skills, back timing music, mm-hmm. uh, my on-air presence, and um, just be running a tight board and having a halfway decent voice. You know, hmm. you do need a certain level of God-given talent. I mean, sure. some people just don't have it. Yeah. You know, a squeaky voices, but those are the people you hear on the air now. You know, it's a lot of yeah. these people on the air now would not have been on the air back in the 70s because hmm. everyone had a big voice. Everyone had a big voice. Yeah. So how long did you have that gig for then? Until I graduated in 81. Then what? Uh, then I put out some tapes. Well, while I was at, uh, at Akron, I also became sports director. So the sports director could choose who did the play-by-play for mm-hmm. Akron football and basketball. Yeah. And we had we, we used to air a lot of high school games too, basketball and football. So um, my sophomore year, before I was um, sports director, I did uh, play-by-play because yeah. I liked sports. I wanted to do play-by-play too. I didn't really want to be a disc. You don't go to college to be a disc jockey. Okay. Uh, so I didn't really know what I wanted to do. And that was one of the uh, nice things about going to college is that you could work in the TV center and run camera, run the audio board, run the video switcher. Mm-hmm. You can uh, be at the uh, radio station and do disc jockey, newscasts, play-by-play, high school. Sure. Uh, so I just wanted to do as much as I could mm-hmm. to be well-rounded for when I graduated and see what kind of job I could get. So it was a lot of fun doing the play-by-play. Uh, my junior year, I was sports director, and I was 1979. I did the football play-by-play, and my roommate was my color announcer, mm-hmm. and then he was – much better at basketball than I was. He understood it better. Mm-hmm. He was the Cavs' first ball boy back at the old Cleveland okay. Arena. So I let him do the play-by-play for basketball. He yeah. was really good at it. So yeah. explain the difference between color and play-by-play. Play-by-play is the person who actually calls the action on the field, mm-hmm. but the main analysis comes from the color person. Okay, so yeah, generally the more knowledgeable uh, of the intricacies of the True. sport would that's, come from the color commentator then. Right. Yeah. Because that's because, why you see the former players, you know, doing it on TV. and Yeah. And know. it takes almost a different skill set, right, to do the play-by-play because you have to be able to see and interpret it quickly to um, be able to kind of communicate with your words what's going on right. on the court or the field or whatever. And I never played football. Sure. Not like, you, you know football – much better than I do. Just because so, I played, yeah. Right. <laughs> the very little You know which way, especially on the line, which way the guys are sure. supposed to go. and um, But, you know, I could call the action, and mm-hmm. I used to imitate Gib Shanley, who was the Browns play-by-play. Remember my first job at WKNT was running the board for the Browns? Mm-hmm. So I was really able, and Gib Shanley was just a genius at calling football play-by-play on the radio. He was also the sports anchor at Channel 5 in Cleveland. Mm. And I just copied his style, and it was really nothing to me. I mean, it was just 
Third down and two, balls on the 45, Hockett wide to the left, Snow split seven to the right, backfields in the T, they switch to the I. And then you just do that every play. Where mm -hmm. are the receivers? What's the backfield doing? Sure. What's the down? How many to a first? You just call the action and let your color guy yeah, take just over. Just paint the picture for everyone listening. And then once, exactly. once the action starts, that's where the color comes yes, in. Yes, paint right? the picture. That's exactly sure. it. Yeah. And I used to love it. We, we had a big travel schedule that year. We went out to Boise, Idaho to play Boise State. Mm -hmm. We went to Veterans Stadium in Philadelphia to play the Temple Owls. Uh, we went out to Illinois to play Eastern Illinois and uh, Waterloo, Iowa to favorite play. Favorite college place you went to? Favorite college, uh, campus, town? Well, we didn't really travel. do that. I mean, we'd come in like the day before, sleep, and then go right do the game and leave. So well, we really didn't. What about stadium? Stadium, probably, you know, Boise State had a very nice stadium. This is before Smurf Turf. <laughs> this is before Smurf Turf, yes. And then, of course, Veterans Stadium, you know, where the uh, Eagles played. Mm. The Eagles, in fact, were practicing before the Akron Temple game. Yeah. Um, and it was still baseball season. It was late in the baseball season. And I, I was up in the press box at a pro stadium. That was pretty cool. Yeah. You look up on the lineup board for baseball, and they had Pete Rose, Mike Schmidt still up there. and. Uh, that was pretty cool. You know, yeah. So you see, you get to do all of this cool stuff. You're, you're working your passion. Uh, oh, and by the way, there's Western cultural traditions I have to study for, yeah. which I flunked the uh, semester that I uh, did the Zips on radio. Mm -hmm. And I had to take that again in the summer, and I got a B. There you go. But it, it was just all-consuming. I was just in hog heaven doing what I loved, and I had that commercial gig. Mm-hmm. And during the summers, I would work almost full-time hours. And yeah. this is how I paid my tuition. And then I also worked at the TV center, the television center. We, that's where they taped all the TV classes. It was just like a regular TV studio with the big cameras, mm -hmm. the big studio cameras. And we had two-inch videotape back then with these huge machines, you know, which now you, your, your cell phone can yeah. you know, do everything do. they did. Uh, were you getting... TV time when you were working at the TV station no. or you um, doing more production stuff? No, just production stuff. You know, after I graduated, I, I got a little airtime. Uh, I remember, well, and kind of jumping ahead, but after I, I came, I moved away and came back home after graduating and they asked me to call a rugby game between Chicago and Akron. I had no idea what rugby was all about. I didn't yeah. even know how they scored and what you called it, but I did it. You know, it wasn't live. It was look live. We taped it and then played it back. And yeah. I made a mistake on the score, like uh, before the half, so that I we had to in post production. I had to say the correct score, and then we would do an audio only edit on the video, mm. and that was a pain. Yeah. to try to make it look natural. Now I, I bet it yeah. with all the digital stuff it's you can do it in three seconds well you know if you even you, you got to put the crowd up. noise underneath it you can't just cut True. out the crowd noise and have someone say 23 to 1 you know yeah <laughs> so you yeah. try to make it sound that that would be the difficult part hmm. so um so we did all that stuff in college and then when i graduated i was putting out tapes you know on yeah. air tapes i had actual commercial experience for a newly graduated person yeah so um Oh, and also, this, this was a big time. My regular disc jockey shift uh, was midnight to 6 on Saturday night, Sunday morning. Mm -hmm. You know, during school, I would even do yeah. that. $2.90 an hour. Big time radio money. 
And I remember after doing it for a while, and you know, those shifts used to drag. And I'm looking up at the clock, and it's two o'clock in the morning, and I got four hours left. And I'm thinking, I'm not going to be doing this when I'm 40. Yeah. You know, I got to get into something else. So I thought that there was more stability in news. Sure. And so sure. I started, I, I told my boss I'd like to do some news. So I started doing some reporting in the field. And during the summer, when one of the regular guys would go on vacation, I would substitute for them and do newscasts. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's when I made the transition to news. I really never set out to be a news reporter, but it was in radio or television. And that's what I, uh, you know, it wasn't bad. And I had a little knack for doing it. So I made the transition to be a news reporter, and I thought I'd have a better uh, chance of getting a job as a news reporter. So then after graduating, I put out news tapes. And uh, there's this one, what we used to call the industry Bible. It was Broadcasting Magazine. And in in the back, they had all these Help Wanted ads. Mm -hmm. And I remember applying for this uh, news assistant news director's job in Anderson, Indiana, right outside Indianapolis. And um, they called me up. I drove down for an interview. And um, ended up getting the job. Nice. It wasn't didn't pay much. It was ten thousand a year. It was your first job out of college? My first though. job. Yeah. I didn't really like moving to Indiana, but it it was you know I had to I had to be on my own. I had to pay bills. Yeah. So went to Indiana. The people down there were really nice, and I'm still friends with some of them today. Mm-hmm. I was there for ten months. And um, that's not very long. (laughs) Well, I didn't know that at the time. Yeah. If I knew that within a year I'd be on the air in Cleveland, it would have made it a lot easier to get by. Sure. Yeah. You thought you were going to. So did you think you were stuck? I thought that my career was done. It was going to end in the cornfields of Indiana. (laughs) So so why? I was air checking. You know what air checking is? That's when you tape yourself on the air. Sure. And then you edit it down. You Mm -hmm. scope it down. I was air checking the first day I was on the air down there. To really? Get the hell out of so there. you just, <laughs> so why did you even take the job then? Because I had to get money. That was I, I, the I only option? I couldn't move back home. Hmm. You know, I, I had to get, you know. So you just didn't like the location of it then? It was just the well, middle of nowhere? I, well, I was already on the air in a medium sized market in Akron. And here I was going to the sticks of Indiana, hmm. even though our FM was in the, uh, it was an AM FM combo. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was a uh, in the Indianapolis market, but nobody listened to it down there. Mm-hmm. You know, it was pretty big up where we were. Anderson was the city, and it was a big city for Indiana. It was about 88,000 people who lived in Indiana mm-hmm. or in Anderson. And it, it was a pretty big city, but compared to Ohio standards, you know, where Akron at the time had probably a half million people in Summit County alone, and I thought it was kind of taking a step down in markets. Mm. But it was a full-time gig. True. And it was something else for the resume. So I took it. Yeah. And I was there checking. And you were trying to get out of there as quickly as yep. you could. Back yep. back to yep. Ohio? Where were you? Where it, were you? I was putting in tapes in Columbus, uh, Cleveland, mm-hmm. Cincinnati, you know, bigger markets. Because that's what you want to do. You want to climb the markets. Sure. sure. And my brother, Harry... Uh, noticed a classified in the Beacon Journal, of which I looked up on the Beacon Journal archives, and I have that classified ad yeah. at WHLO in Akron, which was a legacy station. It was really big in the 60s and 70s. Mm-hmm. Um, they were looking for a news reporter, and I applied, and I got that job, and I came home after 10 months in Indiana as a news reporter. 
For a radio station. For a radio station. Yeah, so, WHLO. So what does a radio news reporter do? Do they just report the news that's coming in, or do they actually go out and find stories? Oh, we or? went out and found stories. Really? Yeah. Uh, this was, the format of this station at the time was a traditional rock and roller, big time popular. But it was, AM is going through the, a transition at the time. FM took over by then, yeah. and music AM stations really weren't making it that much anymore. So this station was big band. <laughs> <laughs> kind of like your jazz station you worked at in college. Well, no, little... no, that was jazz jazz. This was like oldies stuff. Frank well, Sinatra, I mean, the Mills Brothers. Yeah, similar to like a little bit of an outdated style of music. Well, the, the, time, the demo they saying. were looking for were the older people. Sure. You know, like my parents. Sure which this music was big when they were in high school and this is 1982 now yeah so uh as far as what news reporters did we had like a four-person staff mm -hmm. which was pretty small i mean at one time the station was a news talk station and they had a dozen people in the newsroom so the newsroom was still pretty big for a music station i mean physically big we each had our workstations and uh, we can do, yes, we, we gathered interviews. You know, we interviewed people on the phone. Mm -hmm. uh, I was on the air in the afternoon, and we didn't. We only did news during the drive times, morning and afternoon. I did the afternoons, and I would go in in the morning, and I would just report straight downtown Akron, and I would hit all my beats. Mm -hmm. I would go to the detective bureau in the Akron Police Department. I'd go down and go through the incident reports in the patrol division. I'd stop by the clerk of courts in the Summit County Courthouse and see who was suing who and if there was any interesting lawsuits to bring up. Uh, I'd go over to City Hall, talk to some of the councilmen in their offices just to see what was going on. And if they had uh, the finance committee meeting was Monday, so I would cover that and get interviews for sound bites and so things like that. So we're very much a, a news gathering organization, which was not unusual for that day. Is it different now then? Yeah. Really? Yeah. You, you, you have very few big radio news departments anymore unless you're in a big market like New York, Chicago, Dallas, mm. L.A., um, Boston. Why, why do you think that is? Is it because money down or couple of couple of reasons? Different mediums. Uh, to get a license to broadcast with the Federal Communications Commission, you had to do so much community service programming a week, mm -hmm. and they used to count newscasts as community service programming mm -hmm. in addition to those Sunday morning shows that you used to hear. Um, that all went away during the Reagan administration. Really, and so. When they're looking to increase their profit margins, they started cutting news staffs. Hmm. That's why I lost a, a job in Cleveland. And that was the beginning of the end as far as radio news is concerned. I mean, there are still some stations doing some great radio news. Mm -hmm. uh, Philadelphia, they have traffic, you know, the biggest, they have traffic reports at two in the morning especially in New York. I still listen to those stations, you know, on online. Yeah. And that's where the growth markets are. They have enough uh, ad revenue to support a news, and it's part of their, um, part of their uh, brand. But even some of the old big stations in the big markets have changed formats and been sold. You know, like WABC in New York isn't even owned by ABC anymore. 
that was one of those big mother stations that everyone aspired to work for. Mm. Um, so it was a combination of deregulation, revenue, increasing profit margins. Uh, you can't lay off the disc jockey. We could cut back in the newsroom now. Sure. Yeah. But sure. now they cut back in the disc jockeys too because they have satellite radio. Yeah. You know, satellite shows. Uh, first one in Cleveland was Howard Stern. I never thought a, sta a show based in New York would ever work in Cleveland. Really? Well, it did. Yeah. <laughs> it put a lot of people out of work. And it proved that this satellite stuff might work. And now you look at AM radio has found a new niche in the talk show formats. Mm -hmm. And they're just about all coming from somewhere else via the satellite yeah. or whatever they use now, Internet. Yeah. There are some exceptions, like Cleveland still has a local morning and an afternoon show, but in the and they do the Cleveland Indians baseball, which takes up a lot of the programming schedule. But uh, other than that, it's like Glenn Beck, Rush Limbaugh, overnight. It's you know another satellite show. So, uh, but there's a lot of stations in the smaller markets, medium markets. That that's all they are. They don't employ anyone. They just have an engineer to come in every now and then and yeah, and see what's going on, you know, with the equipment and stuff. So after you get back to Ohio, you're working at a great station in Akron. Well, it used um, to be a great station. Well, it wasn't that great time, when I worked there. At, at the time. Yeah. Um, so what was the next big transition for you in your well, career? Well, while I was full-time at WHLO in Akron, uh, I, I don't know how I found out the WGAR in Cleveland, which was still a great station, mm -hmm. big station. Um, they needed someone part-time on the weekends. Yeah. So I put a tape together uh, of my WHLO stuff, mm -hmm. and I drove up. I thought it was going to be downtown, and I called the news director, and I got uh, – I told him I was going to uh, – well, yeah, I told him I was going to apply for it, and I was going to send him a tape. He said, okay, but rather than just send him the tape in the mail, I took it up there personally to drop it off. Hmm. And the receptionist at the time said, well, I think he's still here. Let me go get him for you. So he was, and he came out, and he, he introduced himself to me and took me back in the newsroom, which was the former garage of the transmitter site back in the 1930s. And... Um, we went into the news booth where you do the on-air newscasts, and there was a reel-to-reel -reel in there, and he put my reel uh, up on, and he listened to it in front of me. Wow. I was sweating. I not really bad. was. I'd, and he, he goes, not bad, not bad. So then uh, later that week, he called me up and offered the job, and I was doing, uh, this was for uh, Saturday evening, 6 to midnight, during the Wolfman Jack show which was a syndicated radio show, but WGAR highly tailored it. I mean, Wolfman, who cut it out in L.A., would actually say, you know, this one's going out to Broadview Heights. This one's going out to Chardon. Mm -hmm. You know, the board op had, we had carts, which looked like eight tracks, but they were just for like one little thing or a song would be on it. Or, you know, that's how when you hit the button, it goes on instantly. We'd play some records that you queued up, but sure. mostly at GAR, everything was on cart. So what, the board op who ran the Wolfman show had this huge portable cart rack that he would wheel into the studio. I mean, I even had uh, local uh, tailored 
news intros. I had Wolfman going. It's a, I had one for each hour. It's 11 o'clock. It's 10 o'clock. Don Olson news time. And, but the, the tricky part about that is it was only part-time, and I was full-time at HLO in Akron, and the uh, service area is intersected. You know, everyone in mm -hmm. Akron, what, for the most part, listens to Cleveland. Yeah. So I had to go into my station manager in Akron and said, look, I, I just had a part-time offer from GAR in Cleveland just to do, you know, Saturday night news. Do you mind if I take it? I mean, I owed that to her. She was my full-time general manager. And she says, no, extra coin doesn't hurt anyone. And I was only making 12000 a year there. Mm -hmm. She goes, but I would like you to use a different name on the air up there. Okay. So the news director in Cleveland's going, okay, I, I need the name because we have to send it out to Los Angeles so Wolfman can cut these intros. Yeah. And I just said, uh, just use Don Olson. So you went from Don Ostapovich to Don Olson? No, I've uh, on the air I was always Olson. You were always even just in, Olson. Even in college okay. I was Olson. Because back then you just didn't use ethnic names. You know, yeah. You, you can get away with it now on TV especially, For but sure. not, not radio. So um, I was Olson on GAR in Cleveland, and my my general manager in Akron never said anything about it. And I was only there seven months before I went full-time mm. to another station in Cleveland, which was a news talk station. And I was the uh, afternoon host. Yeah. I did newscasts until 5 o'clock. And th that was a big newsroom because it was a news talk station. You know, we were located in North Royalton, which is a suburb on the south side. So... But we had a sales office downtown on Playhouse Square that the street reporters, we had two street reporters, uh, they would go into our sales office and microwave their sound back to us in North Royalton, yeah. and we'd edit it there. So uh, it was a big newsroom, and uh, legendary news director John O'Day, legendary in, in Cleveland Radio. And some other, and the talk show hosts were, you know, all famous people in Cleveland. So that was probably my first, my first taste of big time was a GAR. But when I got the full-time job at WJW, which is 850 now, I think it's an ESPN station. Mm -hmm. um, that was my, you know, first full-time, big-time radio yeah. job. And I was only there three months before there was an opening at GAR, which was a, a higher-rated, longer 850 just went to News Talk. In fact, a lot of the people who used to work at GAR went over to, I don't know if I'm getting into the weeds here, but just, yeah, they, uh, I, I went over to GAR full-time after only three months. So I was yeah. in Indiana 10 months, a, uh, HLO 7 months, and then WJW 3. I didn't have any vacation time yeah. for like the first two years I was out of college. But you kept, but I'm bouncing, the around, you kept bouncing around different stations. Climbing so the markets. It yeah. was just trying to get into a better station Going and a up. better market. That's yeah. the, the whole time you're doing this. Climbing thing. the markets, the getting the better Two years gigs. out of college, pretty much. Two, three years out of college. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So where did you kind of find a home then after all of that bouncing around well did you i never... was ready to work at gar until i uh retired i yeah. loved it there i was working uh, noon to six why why did you love it there oh, it was a big time station uh john lanigan was our morning man he's a legendary cleveland disc jockey joe Mayer, emperor joe who introduced the beatles at public square in 64 <laughs> was our midday guy 
it, it was just a great sounding station. It was the Billboard magazine station of the year in 78. Hmm. It was, you, people nationwide know GAR. And I was just ready to, I was happy, yeah. really happy. And I really liked my sound at the time too. Um, but after a year and a half, AM was in transition and they let the deregulation hit and they let half the newsroom go and I was one of them. Hmm. Now they were changing the AM to country. 1220 was going country. So I I lost my job. Then what happened? Um, Then I went down to the Cleveland Press Club Awards. I was up for an award Mm -hmm. and uh, my news director at the time knew uh, Carl Monday from Channel 8. They worked in radio together back at WERE in Cleveland. And I got to know Carl, and Carl happened to be looking for a producer for his I-team, his investigative unit. Yeah. And I applied for it and got the job. Nice. So you said you were up for an award. What was the award for? Uh, a public service uh, series we did on the death of the Cleveland Press, the afternoon newspaper in Cleveland. So you were covering your own? Uh... We were covering a newspaper. No, okay. The death of a afternoon newspaper. Oh, okay. That left only the plain dealer. Oh, so the Cleveland Press was an actual newspaper. That yes. was the name of a newspaper. Yes, that was. Okay. I'm sorry. That I thought was, you were talking no. about the press, like the no, newsroom, and you're no, covering no. your own like demise. There were two in papers: the, the Plain Dealer in the morning and the Press in the afternoon. Okay. And the afternoon papers were just struggling, and uh, the Beacon Journal used to be an afternoon newspaper, and they went mornings uh, in like '87. So, Carl mm-hmm. offered me the job, and I got it, and I got my first TV job. But I was a producer, and I wasn't on the air, and that yeah. really ached. I hated it. Yeah. So yeah. bef- before you get into TV, um, you said you were putting together a bunch of different radio tapes. So what um, what types of audio did you use to put together? Like how do you choose what content you put onto a radio tape? Where you sound good, you got a nice uh, story selection, you've got sound bites in there, sound bites, you know, the little pieces uh, of tape where people... You know, the mayor of Cleveland says he's not going to take it anymore. And then you go to a soundbite of the mayor talking and then you come back on and um, and you just wanted to sound good. But you had to use what you were doing on the air. You can't just go in the production room and do an audition tape. They want to hear you when you're on the air. Actually broadcasting. Right. Because if you go into a production room, you're just going to do it till you sound good. True. Now, you're not going to give them a a bad air check, you know, a tape. Yeah. but they get the idea, and you give them a couple of them, and you scope it down. You know, you edit out yeah. the commercials. And they all just that. want to see that you can actually talk comfortably on the air, right? And write. And write, okay. You know, I had to write all of my newscasts. Really? Yeah. yeah. So um, you basically were just kind of writing together an outline of the story, or were you writing it word for word, or kind yeah. of how did you? I was writing it word okay. for word. Our, uh, the one news director I had at WJW, he would just write bullet points about the Mm -hmm. story and he would ad-lib around it. Because he he anchored a three-hour morning news block. Okay, so he 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 wasn't going to write write all that stuff 60 times. So he would ad-lib around it and he was so good that he can get away with that. Mm -hmm. I couldn't do that at the time. Sure. I could now, but not when I was, Hmm. was I 21 at the time? Yeah. So So what do you think was the big unique thing about radio over tv with just the environment that you were working in uh, what do you mean over like uh 
like overall, just like out of all your experiences at radio, what do you think was like? Well, radio and TV is very different. Obviously. I mean, yeah. I mean, but not in that they're different mediums, but, you know, TV at the time when, you know, cable was starting to make its inroads, but uh, there were still a lot of people watching the local stations. Yeah. Like we would win the six o'clock newscast with a 38 share. That meant of all the TVs that are on in the Cleveland market, 38% are watching Channel 8. Yeah. Um, so we were, we still had huge audiences, and the newsroom was huge. We had close to 80 people just in the newsroom. And I mean, I'm, I'm working with Dick Goddard, you know, and yeah. people I grew up watching on television. And it was pretty intimidating at the time. Yeah. You know. My news director was Virgil Dominic, who was on NBC Network, and he was anchor at Channel 3 when I was growing up, and he used to intimidate the hell out of me. Like, what do you mean? How would oh, you... I would, I'd give him anything. Like, I had to negotiate my contract with him. Okay, anything you want. Yeah, okay, yeah. <laughs> I, I couldn't stand up to myself. I didn't, you know, want to make him mad at me or, yeah. you know, so, you know, I mean, I was still a kid, too. Yeah, yeah, so how old were you when you got the job with uh, Carl Monday? Uh, I see, it was 1984, so I was still 23. Wow. I was still 23. I didn't turn 24 till later that year. Yeah. So, yeah, so I was pretty young, too, in TV. But I, it was a great, since so being a producer, I can learn television. Yeah. And Carl was one of the best to learn from. I mean, we were doing the kind of stories that everyone in the newsroom would just stop what they're doing, would watch the story on one of the many monitors in the newsroom. Like, uh, do you have any examples? Like, what what was one of the big stories you remember working on when you started out? There were so many, but the one that I remember the best, uh, Carl was on vacation. He wasn't even in the newsroom. Really? And I'm, I'm there, you know, trying to do some interviews and set up some stuff and tape some B-roll, you know, the video that mm-hmm. goes with a news story. And... Um, the, the assignment desk transferred a call back. No, this person called me directly in the I-Team office and said that there was a city street crew working in front of her house and they were drinking beer. They're not even working. And there's this one supervisor who's in a car with a woman and it's making me sick. And my kids are watching this. Yeah. So I went to the desk. I grabbed a cameraman. Luckily, one was available. And we went out to where they were, and sure as heck, there was the crew out there drinking Miller High Life. They're out, you know, out there, they're not working. Hmm. And so we're trying to get an angle on how to shoot these guys. So I'm driving the news car, and the cameraman's on the passenger side trying to get an angle on it. And this cameraman was a soul man. His name was Herb Thomas. It was a skit from Houlihan and Big Check. It was very popular. And he's very popular on the east side. He's African-American. And yeah. You go into a McDonald's. Everyone knows Soul Man. Yeah. So uh, this guy's walking by. Hey, Soul Man. And he goes, hey, how you doing? Hey, do you know anybody who lives in that house there? And that was the house right in front of where the street crew was. And he goes, yeah, I'm the building supervisor over there. Can you get us in? Yeah, so we went around the block, hopped a fence, went in through the back door, and we're looking right down yeah. on the car where this guy was with this woman. And he was like, the door was open, and he's laying on her 
chest behind yeah. the wheel and she's rubbing his big fat belly <laughs> the car doors open on the tree lawn or double strip depending on where you're at yeah and we're up there for like two hours in this uh, row house that was looking just down. getting video i said herb let's go get him I'm, you know he's not gonna move and they they didn't they didn't work for two hours yeah so I went down and had my first confrontation interview. The guy's trying to hit the mic out of my hand. Yeah. But you should have seen the look on his face when he's laying in that car with that woman and he sees a Channel 8 camera bearing down on him. He just had the, the oh, stupidest yeah. look on his face. So he ended up uh, getting fired sure. and the other City Street crew uh, members were suspended. Mm-hmm. The uh, Cleveland Safety Dire- or Service Director came to the station to view our field tape. You know, to see what, yeah. and, and this just little, the news went through the newsroom. Whenever you had that kind of video, everyone in the newsroom wants to see it. Sure. And back in the day, you know, you had three quarter inch videotape and they would watch it so much, they'd wear the oxide off of the tape and it was affecting the video quality of what you had to edit with. So we would dub or re-record the field tape and just had a tape for people to view. So That's we would, you know, so many passes, you get so many passes over the heads yeah. with videotape. So that, that was my first real big investigative story and I did it on my own. Yeah. I handed it to Carl when I got back from vacation. He goes, holy, you know. Yeah. So we worked on it for a couple more months. We aired it in October. And we just, uh, we went to lunch at this deli downtown Cleveland. And you can hear people talking about the story and the other. That must have been cool. Yeah. See, that that was a big rush. That was big. So I'm learning TV. And after a while, after a couple of months, I asked the news director, hey, can I get on the air on the afternoons or on the weekends, I mean. You say, yeah. So um, when I, you know, learned TV enough to do that, you still had cameramen and stuff and editors. So, but I had to set up all the interviews. But you learned how to put together a story. Yeah. 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 So uh, I started subbing for people who were off on the weekends and I got back on the air, which made me happy. Yeah. Yeah. So when you got that afternoon gig. um, Weekend gig. Well, okay. The weekend gig. What, um, what do you... Anything notable there with story-wise that you did? Or no, it was, just you know... You get, everyday stuff, kind of. Well, you're covering everyday stuff like homicides and yeah. f- big fires. There's only two reporters working during the day on the weekends and one at night. Mm. So you had to cover everything that happened. Sometimes you'd have too much to cover. Sometimes you didn't have enough. Yeah. Um, but it was a great experience. And as I was getting some of my better stuff together, just like in radio, I'm putting together a, a video reel sure. to send out to get a full-time television job. So you were, were you only part-time then on the weekends? No, well, or? I was full-time. Well, yeah, I just worked when people took off. You still had the producer job then? Yeah, uh, I was still working in the I-team. And, and to get on the air, I would work six and seven days a week mm-hmm. to get, you know, for less money than what I got during the week. Sure. You know? Usually when you work more than 40 hours a week, you get more money. Yeah. But it didn't work that way because of the unions and things mm-hmm. like that at Channel 8. So I was just uh, trying to hone my craft. You know, yeah. and, and trying to get a full-time on-air position at yeah. another station. I know it would be difficult for me to go to, you know, a Cleveland. Cleveland was number nine in the, in the country at the time. It was a big market. Yeah. And so I'm trying for, like, Columbus. I, even, I, I did send out tapes to Philadelphia, Pittsburgh, Cincinnati, Indianapolis. Yeah. Uh, but Well, you send them everywhere, right? Just whatever. Well, not you... everywhere, you know. Hmm. Um 
So I, I was just trying to get a full-time on-air job in yeah. television. And I eventually did at Channel 8. Okay. So, so that was the only station I ever worked for in television. And how long were you working with Carl Monday before you got that full-time job? I worked job? Uh, with Carl for about two and a half years, two years, 84 to 86. And then in 86, the, uh, I don't know, the consultants told all the Cleveland stations that Akron was big. You know, you got to get the Akron viewers, hmm. Akron Canton. Yeah. Uh, because without Akron and Canton, Cleveland would go from nine to 23 in market size. I mean, it's, yeah. there's a lot of people down here. Sure. Uh, so they opened up an Akron bureau and they gave the Akron bureau chief job to Dick Russ, who was a guy who worked for an Akron TV station at the time that your mother once worked at. Yeah. And uh, so they wanted a producer for Akron. I was really, you know, I had a better chance of getting on the air during the week. Mm -hmm. So I took it. Yeah. With a little pay raise. So I was going to work in our Akron Bureau, which was located in the Ohio Edison building downtown on the 17th floor. And Dick Russ, who was a longtime reporter who worked at WHLO at one time, he went to Kent State, he's from Cleveland. Uh, he was the noon anchor on the noon show, and he would come down to Akron after the noon to do an Akron. So I was supposed to have Akron stories. So I ha had to have, you know, I got a head start on getting him video interviews, and then I would hand it over to him, and he would put it together and go on the air, and that killed me. Yeah. Because I want, I'm doing all the work. I wanted yeah, to be sure. the one on the air. So, but that only lasted for so long, and... After a while, they knew I could do the job, and they and Dick really didn't want to rush down to Akron like he had done for many years after the noon show, and he just stayed up in Cleveland and did a Cleveland story, and I eventually became the Akron bureau chief. You know, we had yeah. a studio in Akron, and I would do a nightly Akron segment. That's everything you wanted at the time then. Right? Yeah, yeah, it was great. It was great. So while you were working at these stations, what – what was like the news going on at the time? What was the big stuff? That uh, was there was breaking? a lot going on. Uh, it seemed like every national story for a couple of years there had an Akron component. Really? Jeffrey Dahmer. Yeah. Uh, William Kennedy Smith was accused of raping this woman who originally was from Stowe. Mm -hmm. um, boy, what else? The Browns left Yeah. in 95. The Indians won the World Series. You know, even though those are, might be Cleveland stories, you know, we were covering it out of Akron. Sure. They'd want me to get Akron reaction. Uh, and on the weekends, you know, you had to fill in for people who were on vacation. And I was working up in Cleveland the night the Indians lost the uh, game six of the 1995 World Series. They said, yeah, we're, you're working extra. We didn't know they were going to lose, of course, but just come in. We're all doing Indian stories since they're in the World Series for the first time since 1954. Yeah. And just come on in, go down to Daffy Dan's, get them printing up some Indians T-shirts, and you know, do a live shot at 10 and then go home. Yeah. Well, they ended up losing the World Series that night, and they wanted me and the cameraman to go out to Cleveland Hopkins and get the team coming in. Yeah. And so they didn't get into like one in the morning, two in the morning. Yeah. But there were like 40,000 people out there at the airport waiting for them to come home. And I ended up doing a live shot at 11 or at 10. And we were still CBS at 10, 10, 11. And then I just got mugged. I was, I had the fans all around me and you, you know, they're, 
putting her hands in front of my face and go there and just yelling. You couldn't hear me at all. I had the mic up by my, yeah. my mouth. And so we had to find a way to get on the other side of the fence. You know, they didn't go to the normal terminals or anything. They yeah. had like a, so that was a big story. Um, and I'm sure there were others. I just can't remember at so this time. It was a great experience. You were saying you were covering the Jeffrey Dahmer stuff. Yeah. So I couldn't even imagine what that would have been like in the area at the time. Like well, just the, the environment and like this guy is from the area. Well, you see, but. Here's how we found out he was from the area. I was friends with a, uh, I'm giving up a source here, but he's retired. I'm sure you sure. won't remember, but I was friends with a captain in the Bath Police Department. Yeah. And when this guy started Dahmer making news out in Milwaukee, he called me up and said, hey, this guy's from Bath. Really? I arrested him from DUI back in 78. So I said, okay. So I went up there, I interviewed him, I got his mugshot from 78, and it became a major local story. Yeah, I imagine. I mean, yeah. that, that's still that name is still used oh, today. Yeah. Just like, oh, he's, and well, there's movies that just came out about him. I mean, one of the more uh, notorious, notorious serial sure. killers of all time. So while all this is going on up in Milwaukee, this becomes a local story. Yeah. So we're doing it as much as we can, and and when that. Uh, ran out because he had to stand trial and everything in Milwaukee. Mm -hmm. uh, the uh, parents of his first victim, Stephen Hicks, yeah. who lived in Barberton, uh, wanted him held accountable for their son's death. And the prosecutor at the time said, agreed, of course. So they had built a case against him here in Akron and uh, after his Milwaukee stuff was done, he had to come to Akron in the courthouse and face, and he was just going to come in and plead guilty to it. I mean, he was already convicted of, I don't know, 15 yeah. murders of yeah, He was yeah. never going to see free light again. So, but boy, there was a circus at the courthouse. And uh, when they were building their case, before he came to Akron, they wanted to do a, uh, the coroner wanted to do a dig out at his house uh, in Bath. And they got strings and they gritted off the yeah. uh, yard and they're looking for bone because he uh, smashed the bones of his first victim and just scattered them throughout his yard. So that's what they were looking for. Yeah. So we did that for a whole week. Just we were just covering that. the dig. Yeah. They had a news conference daily and I didn't even go to the Akron Bureau or the Cleveland Newsroom. I just went straight from our house in Furlong out the bath yeah. and then back and forth because we had the live truck that I worked out of. So uh, that's what that was all about, you know. And it was, it kind of turned into a carnival. Uh, yeah. We, satellite trucks came in by then and all the networks were there. And people the, from outside the, the market were definitely there too. Absolutely. Sure. Yeah. All the networks, ABC, NBC, CBS, the Milwaukee stations were there. Mm -hmm. The Cleveland stations were there. The Chicago stations were there because they make an imprint on Wisconsin. Sure. What's the, um, like, is there like a sense of we're helping other stations out with everything or is it very no, competitive? No, we don't help out of competition. Uh, I mean, even out of market competition or? No, we don't help them. Okay. No, unless they're like this, we were CBS at the time. Yeah. So we would help out the network and yeah. they would help us out. Okay. Because we're on the same team more yeah. or less. But we wouldn't help out the competition. Yeah. No. no. So what would it be like for the, the bigger overall network to help you guys out? Just taking a story national? Oh, they might tell or? us what they're doing that day. Like they're going to go down and interview the Hicks family. Hmm. 
and then, you know we'll get that sound if we want it which of course okay. we did you yeah. know, stuff like that yeah. and in the meantime we would give them video of the dig that day mm. you know show those coroner investigators looking through the yard and, and things like that so we were trading tapes and, yeah. you know which was very common you know in fact CBS would call our assignment desk twice a day to see what we had going in Cleveland and the first time I was on network television was uh, when I covered a story about a a baby who had a newborn who had been stabbed nine times and thrown Oof. into a dumpster Jeez. and lived. Wow. So I did that story and they used it the next morning on CBS this morning. So we were on the same team and we would trade tapes like that yeah. all the time. Yeah. Has there been like a story or something that you've covered, whether you were on air or not at the time, that's kind of stuck with you? Like, I mean, the space shuttle. The space shuttle explosion, Challenger, and, uh, Challenger. Yeah, uh, that was an Akron story too because of uh, Judy Resnick was from yeah. Akron. She went to Firestone. I wasn't in the Akron bureau at the time. I was in the I team still. Yeah, but that was a big one. I'm, I'll never forget that day. Uh, that is when we stopped covering shuttle launches live because they had become so commonplace. Mm. So the only ones doing it live was CNN, <clears throat> which was the only cable network at the time. Hmm. So we're watching, we're watching it. You know, they're replaying it and replaying it. And everyone, the newsroom is silent. And everyone is looking at a monitor, watching it explode. And we're like paralyzed. We're just watching this. And then the news director comes out of his office Claps his hands and says, people, let's get this on the air. Yeah. We got to report this. Yeah. Because it wasn't even on CBS. Dan Rather was the main anchor of CBS then, and he was pissed off because Channel 8 Cleveland played CNN instead of CBS. Because <laughs> we were a CNN affiliate, too, yeah. as many stations yeah. were. I'll never forget that. Hmm. We had a responsibility to get it on the air, but we turned into the viewers, you know, just paralyzed and mesmerized by watching this happen you know and this yeah. was pretty big stuff back then there were sure. no reality shows and no cell phone videos and no social media so to watch something like this was just something else i mean we were the news professionals but yet we were just so mesmerized we forgot our jobs for a second yeah and the news director had to come out and tell us let's get this on the air yeah that's crazy that was yeah it was it was uh, it was it was really uh, an eye opener for me. In what way? Well, in in the in the way that you know, as a news reporter, and I think this has been lost. When you're a news reporter, you have a responsibility. It's not just a job. Yeah. You take on the responsibility of being the gatekeeper of information to the public. Yeah. So that's why you have to do it in an impartial, fair, and balanced way. Mm-hmm. So we owe that to our viewers or our listeners. That's why we don't do commercials. We're news reporters. How am I going to do a commercial for a Cleveland car dealer and then the next day do a story on them rolling back their odometers illegally to yeah. sell a car at a lower mileage? How am I going to do that when I just did a commercial for them? That's why we needed that credibility. And I think that's what today's media lacks. 
you have left-leaning station uh, cable networks you have right-leaning cable networks how about a network that doesn't have a lean yeah. and their only purpose is to give you the information in an impartial way hmm. like the way it used to be because that's your responsibility yeah so what um do you think the big difference is with um why do you think it's changed so much money really back when uh, I I remember doing this one story with Carl Money and the I-Team. It was a story, um, Stop and Shop was a chain of grocery stores in the Cleveland area. And we had this one butcher who worked in the meat department Yeah, call us up one day and say, they're cheating their customers. They are taking meat that's graded USDA choice, putting on a prime sticker on their meat and marking up the cost. Hmm. which is illegal. Sure. So we interviewed him. You know, we went out and bought the meat. I went to a supermarket with a camera in the basket. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And uh, so we put the story together. And in the I-team, you always had your scripts approved by the station lawyers and the general manager, yeah. the big boss. Yeah. So we're uh, showing the general manager and the lawyers what we had done. And the general manager had to make a big decision. Because if we air this, Stop and Shop, a major sponsor of New Center 8, was not going to be happy. Yeah. And he looks at Carl and me, he goes, are they cheating people? Carl goes, well, yeah. He goes, F it, run it. So we ran it. It's a two-part series. Stop and Shop pulled hundreds of thousands of dollars in ads for station at the time when there's only a couple of stations and cable still trying to come in a tv station can withstand that kind of revenue loss yeah so we aired it and uh after the first <laughs> this is terrible after the first part ran the first they went to break and the first commercial was a stop and shop commercial <laughs> <laughs> memo from the news director the next day all producers show producers are to look at the log yeah. Make sure what's, you know, nothing's coming up. Is that what they were supposed to be doing anyway? Well, or, you well, know, it never no, really was a big issue. It was never a big issue because yeah. we didn't do these kind of stories a lot. Yeah. You so, think someone would have give someone a heads up, though? Well, they knew what it was about. I mean, yeah. they have to put the show together. They stacked the show. Yeah. Of course, this was a lead story. Yeah. And so that was, but now I don't think that would ever happen. Yeah. If you're going to do a story that's going to lose hundreds of thousands of dollars in ads, okay, the story is correct, and you're on firm legal ground, but is it worth it? Hmm. Is it worth it to run a story like that? They take that into consideration now, and that's when I think you, you fail in your responsibility to the viewers. And I, and I see these cable networks telling about how fair and balanced they are and how they're the the station of record yeah and it just and then they they take editorial stances during the news portion of their day mm -hmm. that just really makes me mad it, it just angers me to no end yeah is um so what year did you get out of news then 1997 i left it was it because of all of these things you saw this kind of change coming? That or? that was it. It became, uh, in essence, a local reality show, because we weren't getting we were getting away from the stories that people really needed to know about. Yeah, and we were just doing stories that were 
salacious. Hmm. Uh, we used to say, uh, you can whore bag that one up. You know, that yeah, was a term yeah. for like making it really sell soap, you know. So what was, was there like one story that you worked on or saw that really kind of start to make you change your opinion about how news was made? And I think it was a gradual. Uh, gradual? Yeah, because uh, it, it didn't. I think uh, a big move came in 1994 when we left CBS for Fox. We mm. became a Fox affiliate. And this was a industry-breaking move at the time. Uh, us and our sister stations in big markets like Boston and San Diego and Milwaukee and yeah. Atlanta and Detroit, we all went from CBS to Fox, which was a very young network at the time. Mm. And these big city VHF stations, you know, with like one number in the channel. Sure. You know, usually the UHFs, channel 43 and 61, they were, yeah, you can't get them, secondary stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, but all these big city VHF stations affiliated with CBS were leaving the Emerald Network, as it was called, for this young upstart. Hmm. And we had to switch our news from the 11 o'clock to 10 o'clock at night. And we had to go an hour at 6, an hour at 5, three hours in the morning because Fox didn't have the programming that CBS offered. Hmm. CBS in the afternoon had all these soap operas. Yeah. Well, we were playing reruns of The Odd Couple from the 1960s. So so that that, when they added all of these news shows, because they already had a newsroom in place, didn't have to hire new people, but they were stretching us really thin. Yeah. And instead of one story a day, I I had to do two stories a day. Well, I might have two stories, but... You have to shoot video. You have to get interviews. You have to drive to these people wherever they're at and wherever the video was. And we're barely getting it done. I mean, the stress level was unbelievable. And it just wasn't that much fun anymore. But I had a family at the time. I I had a house. Yeah. So I just, I tried to get out of it. Yeah. And I eventually did with with a corporate communications job. That's why I left. But it was a very sad day for me because it's all I ever wanted to do. Yeah. The business was changing, you know. Couldn't go back into radio. Hardly anyone had a news department. And And the pay wouldn't have been as good. Yeah, that medium was long gone by that time. i got to buy baby food and diapers now, (laughs) you know. Yeah. You were on television when you were born. Yeah, I remember you guys telling me that. As were your brothers. I only really remember seeing you on TV once, like live. Mm-hmm. Um, I just remember watching. I don't even. I don't know the story. I yeah. don't know what time it was. I just remember seeing you on TV. Well, see, it was in the after. It was in the afternoon, I think. You but were probably what five, six. Yeah, about. Yeah. Yeah, I, I just I I just remember seeing you on TV once. Yeah, you were but, in second grade when I left, so that's pretty darn young to remember something. Yeah. You know? Yeah. That's, yeah. Just one. It's one. Of, I would say it's one of my really earlier memories yeah. from that old house. But well, I can show you air checks if you ever want to see. Them. <laughs> Every night, you know, I was on the set in Akron. I had a VHS tape yeah. down by the monitor on the floor, and I had a remote on the on the set. So right before I went on, I pressed record and I started recording them, mm-hmm. which was good. Yeah. Uh, but the thing is, I didn't want to put a reel together anymore because I didn't want to get another TV job because it's happening all over the country. Yeah. So um, I did commit them to CD, though, or DVD. So 
was Fox buying up stations or yes. all over the country? Well, they weren't buying them up. We weren't owned by Fox. Okay. We were only a Fox affiliate. Oh, okay. Now, the uh, when the network does own a station, mm-hmm. it's called an O&O, an owned and operated station by the network. Yeah. Now, right when at the time I left Channel 8 in 97, we were a Fox O&O. Fox did own us. Mm-hmm. Now... They've gone through a couple other owners. Yeah. Fox has purchased them again. Really? So they were an O&O station again. But at the time when I started in TV, the federal government had regulations on how many stations you can own. You can only own 12 TV stations. You mm-hmm. couldn't own any more than that. Did all of that get kind of stripped away? It did. Same thing with radio. Mm. You can own 12 AMs and 12 FMs. Yeah, because aren't there only like five companies yep. that own all like almost every form of news medium radio One company tv will own 350 radio stations and what do you think that does to the news i what i think it does to the programming in general is yeah. that um radio at one time was a reflection of the community where they were licensed like uh W-A-K-R in Akron is licensed to Akron. You Mm -hmm. were to serve the public interest, convenience, and necessity, which meant serve the community. That's why they had so much community programming hours they had to report every week. They did away with that. Mm -hmm. Uh, Now it's cookie-cutter radio. When you only have five companies running everything, I remember going to a, when I was working in corporate communications, I had a meeting in Cincinnati. The same company owned, of course, multiple stations in Cleveland, Columbus, and uh, Cincinnati. So in the morning, I was listening to the big one, WTAM in Cleveland, and on the way, listened to the big one, 610 WTVN in Columbus, and I ended up with the big one, uh, 700 WLW. They had the same jingle packages, the same shows. It turned into cookie-cutter radio, mm. and there's no fun in that. No. When I was a kid, I told you I used to listen at night so I can get the faraway uh, AM stations, and yeah. it was fun to listen to the different programs and the talk shows and listening to St. Louis Cardinal games on KMOX in St. Louis. You don't have that now. And it's really a shame, too, because with the advent of the Internet and these apps uh, where you can listen to stations all over the world, at a time when you could take advantage of that diversity in radio programming, you can't get it because everything, everyone's doing the same thing that that company does. Hmm. iHeartRadio owns all these stations yeah. cumulus cbs is still uh in the uh, radio owning business but it's not i mean even though you're working for an o and o and owned an operated station i worked at one last summer mm-hmm. and i was getting 10 bucks an hour yeah i had to work two hours to not pay, much incentive to really go the extra mile well that too even though i like to do radio and it's changed too a lot. I, I don't know how yeah. to edit digitally that well. Yeah. I mean, we're still doing the analog stuff with the <laughs> tape with a razor blade and a grease pen on the record yeah. head or the playback head. Do you think with the internet, radio stations and news stations are starting to save a little bit money and it might kind of start to go back to the old ways? No. No? No, it'll never be the old ways. They'll never have big newsrooms or get rid of the satellite programming they'll never do that again but what you do see are like i don't know if you've ever heard of oh wow out of cleveland uh the gentleman who programmed wmms back in the heyday Mm -hmm. uh programs this station now it's it's a you don't need the fcc there's no government regulation 
you introduce an app on the uh, Google Play Store or the uh, Apple Store on mm-hmm. your phone, and you can download it, and they can tell how many people are streaming it at a time. Yeah. The station is growing, and it's it has nothing to do with terrestrial radio. Yeah, and it's uh, I think that might be the future. Look at all the streaming services. Well, and you podcasting have. is big too right now. Podcasting, yeah, is a whole new medium. Yeah. And, and once again, the audience becomes diluted even more. Hmm. Well, do you think it maybe gives, well, you have more people you can choose from with the internet too. It's not just restricted to a local market. So, right. um, yeah. you know, it may be diluted, but there's overall more people that are tuned in. Right, but it doesn't do that one show any good Yeah. when there's 5,000 other places to go at that time it's definitely not as localized no no but i don't know with with podcasting i I don't know that much about it Mm -hmm. since anybody can get it anywhere yeah and the audience is so huge maybe only getting a small percentage of what's true going on out there is enough to make it viable which it obviously is because we're seeing such a proliferation of it yeah yeah i mean when podcasts are getting six million downloads at their when they're at the top of their game, you know that's it's that's a lot of to an advertiser. It's a lot of ears. Yeah, it's a lot exactly. of ears. Yeah, um, I actually heard Bill Burr say recently that if you do Joe Rogan's podcast, you get more eyes and ears on you than you would if you did all the Tonight Show or all the late night shows together. Really? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And getting the Tonight Show used to be the just one. The that's standard. one Tonight. Yeah. That's Tonight yeah. Show. I'm, he was talking about all of the late night shows, all yeah. of them. Yeah. Well, that's inc- you know, that's crazy to me. The late night shows about. are you know really gone well, a different direction, and they 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 pull maybe a three share. Well, maybe you know? they've yeah. kind of run their course. I mean, they still put out some good stuff, but yeah. uh, I mean, you were just watching that Jimmy Fallon uh, Paul McCartney sketch, right? But I yeah. can't tell you the last time I watched them live. True. True. I mean, there is the whole wave of people listening to content on their own time with, um, mm-hmm. you know, Netflix and on demand, oh, DVR, yeah. yes. and, you know, everything. And I've told your mother that many times. We watch TV on our own terms. Oh, everyone now. does yeah. now. That's why all those streaming services are so big. It's right. you, you don't have to alter your life to watch or listen to something you're a fan of. Recently cutting the cable, um, a couple of the streaming services do not offer the DVR. Yeah. Uh, DirecTV now recently got a DVR function, mm-hmm. and I, I think that they all realize that to be viable in that market, you have to have a DVR system. Yeah. You know? I mean, it's a big selling point for a lot of people. I see Spectrum has recently gone into the streaming business. Yeah. Yeah. yeah you they're... pick your own 10 channels. <laughs> ten. 10. You know, on top of the local stations. Yeah. But then they're giving you, it's only $28 a month, and then in small print for the first two years. You know, they're still yeah. doing that teaser com- BS, yeah. you know. Caveats. So we're not going to go Asterisks. there. No, we're not going to go there. But this is very interesting. And, you know, if I'm a journalist student right now, mm-hmm. you know, it's in your blood. Yeah. You know, and it's hard to fight off if that's what you want to do. But it's so different now yeah it's so different when i got out of college i could work for a radio station which we're still doing news a lot back then i can go to a tv station in fact i tried to get a tv job 
right out of college because mm-hmm. I knew if I started in radio, it was going to be harder to make the transition yeah. to TV. So I had some TV audition tapes I cut in the studio at Akron, and I almost got an anchor job at Channel 33 in Erie, no, Channel 12 in Erie, PA, WICU, Intensive Care Unit. Yeah. <laughs> Made fun of that, but the 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 news director sent me a, a, a telegram saying he liked my tape. A telegram, yes, and he wanted me to come over to Erie for it. I thought, wow, this is great. I think it was paying like fourteen thousand a year too. Yeah, I mean, yeah, could be the six and eleven anchor in Erie. That's that's great. Sure, you know, yeah, be in Cleveland in no time. You know, yeah. He died. Oh, <laughs> and I never heard from the new news director. Yeah, so that was that's unfortunate. But that seems was because like I was in Indiana at the time, yeah. and I wanted to get the hell out of there. Well, it seems like it all worked out for you in the end. But yeah, yeah. So now that you're retired from that corporate communications job, mm-hmm. is there any desire to try and learn those skills again, or yeah. get back into it now that you have a little more time? Well, well, you know, <laughs> um, I would like to learn. I would like to get proficient at uh, editing digital. Yeah, you know, I can I can do the video uh, on Windows Movie Maker, but yeah. it's very limited. Sure, you know, as to what you can do editing wise. So I would like to learn how to edit audio first. Yeah, and maybe I can get like a local radio gig part time, just because it's a good just, hobby, just for fun. Yeah, yeah. I always said. You know, radio is a tough business, especially if you're a disc jockey, because they change formats so much. It's it's really um, a temporary job because it's like a baseball manager or head football coach. You're you're just going to be fired one day. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's a tough business. And the, the the way I wanted to go in the reason I wanted to go into news is that it was more challenging and it was more stable. Mm-hmm. And then television news was even more stable than radio. You don't change the format of a TV station. Yeah. Not at least the traditional TV station. You can do with a cable station, but um, so is more stable. Uh, but I, I would like to learn digital audio yeah. editing and maybe. I always said radio is a great hobby, but a lousy occupation. <laughs> and anyone who's worked in it would tell you that. Yeah. yeah. So for the people that are maybe trying to figure out, I mean, we're, we've been going for about an hour and 20 minutes right now. Um, so we'll wrap it up. But. For anyone who kind of wants to go into journalism, whether it's radio, TV, internet, you know, whatever they want to do, what um, would you recommend they get started out doing? I would still say go to college. Yeah. And then when you're there, don't sit on your bum. You know, get involved with the campus station, the campus newspaper. You know, get your experience and then get real experience, you know, with a real job before you graduate. You know, as far as that is concerned, it's the same as when I went to college. You want to have a couple of W's, you know, call letters on your resume before you graduate. Yeah. Uh, because people just want people with experience. And, I mean, I would I would add on to that and say college is such a good environment with so many resources and so many people wanting to help out. I remember at right. BG, I mean, we had people that weren't even in the journalism or communications major that just had radio shows. Mm-hmm. Or they would go on just because they wanted to. I worked with many people that went to BG. They just decided they wanted to. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, I, I know there were, at least in the business college, there were so many resources out there for you. Right. You just got to utilize and them. And with technology, I mean, just what we're doing now. Yeah. When I graduated, we would have needed a radio studio to do what, what we have on our kitchen table right yeah. now. You know? Yeah. I mean, this is a pretty 
pretty cool setup you got here. And if I if I had this when I was in high school, that's all you would never have seen me. Oh, I'd be sure. up in my room doing radio shows. Yeah. And I'd probably have a podcast with a website yeah. and all that kind of stuff. I would just ex- exploit the shit out of that. Yeah. You know. But they didn't have it when I was going to school. But I would tell people, get your practical experience while you're still in college. If, if you really have it in your blood, it should be no effort to do it at all. Uh, you know, if, if you want to get into broadcasting, do the podcasting. You know, get a website. Just do Stream something. on the website. Yeah. Get all the exposure you can and all the background that you can. And that's going to be very attractive to an employer. But the problem is monetizing that skill now because yeah. the opportunities aren't there as as many opportunities but mm-hmm. if you got it in your blood people told me not to go into it because sure. it's a lousy business yeah i still went into it yeah and i don't want to discourage anyone to fulfill their dream but you gotta but that's love what it. i would do yeah. and, and going to college you do need to back up sure because when i left broadcasting you know i still had my bachelor's degree and i got my communications job and i became a director and you can't become a director without a college degree yeah or a manager yeah because you have people with college degrees who report to you you get more options for sure yes so i would say go to college and then just get as involved as you can and then get that job that regular job outside of the college scene before you graduate yeah you know well Yeah. Thanks for your time. It was my pleasure. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me.